0: Uh, We are, this will be our third week in our uh, speed walk through the book of Philippians. Um, So if you haven't been, excuse me, I told you, scratch your throat. If you have not been with us, kind of what we've been doing is just, uh, we're taking a a really quick walk through Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. And uh, uh, the reason why is, we said this kind of the last couple weeks, is that Paul's letter I mean, it's, it's dense and it's rich and it's packed full of a lot of stuff, but one of the most consistent themes throughout the whole letter is just joy. Uh, and I would argue that we are people, not just here in this church, but, but collectively, like in our country, we're a people who need some joy. Right, you look out there, everything's going wrong, everything's bad, everything's terrible, everything's disagreements. I think we would do well. Uh, with, I think we all need a good dose of joy. And so. Um, what we've been looking at just the last few weeks is just uh, Paul's letter, like some of these different places where, where Paul says in his word that we might find joy. All right, so just to recap, if you haven't been here or if you're like me and you've slept a few times since then, um, we started off looking at finding joy in one another. Uh, that's how Paul begins his letter. It's, it's uh, Paul writes that it's, it's in partnership with one another. It's as we exist in community with one another, in relationship with one another. Like there's a very real joy in that. Right? That's how Paul started his letter. Uh, last week, we, we took a hard right turn and we talked about joy and suffering. That's really enjoyable, right? Suffering, yes, let's suffer. Um, but even in that, what right, well, seems like a contradiction, Paul says that, that those of us who follow Jesus, right, we're following the, uh, he was the suffering servant. And so in that, in our suffering, uh, there is still like, there is still reason for joy. Okay, that's what we talked about last week, uh, and then this week we're, we're moving on, and it's, it's similar to last week in that it's, it seems like a contradiction, uh, but I'm hoping if I do my job, then we'll see that there really is joy to be found in what we're looking at this week, and that's in humility, right? joy and humility. So uh, we're going to start in chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 18 verses. That's a big chunk of scripture. We'll go through it kind of a little bit uh, just a little bit out of time, but I've, I really want to pull out kind of four big themes. alright We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the goal, the path, the process, and the result. All right, all under sort of the umbrella of humility. So, uh, let's start reading in verse one. Paul says this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, there's our our word, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. All right, so here's big idea number one, unity is the goal. All right, that's kind of the point here in these couple of verses, like the the goal that that Paul is urging the Philippians to strive for, and, and by extension, the goal that that we as God's people are to strive for is unity, right? We uh, saw that in like the, the last couple of weeks. We've been focusing on joy as a, one of the themes in the book of Philippians. But really, um, another, another theme that really pulled, like you see in, in Philippians, is unity, right? We looked at it uh, in, in week one. We read this verse, is Philippians 1, uh, 3 through 3-5. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership, your, your unity in the gospel from the first day until now. Right, we saw it last week. Paul said uh, in verse 27 of chapter 1, he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel right you got this more language just unity right same mind one mind side by side here in our verses this morning right it says that uh he says here that we would be again we have the same mind the same love that we would be in full accord and of one mind you just see this theme of unity continue in fact later on in the book of philippians paul's going to address these two women uh that that have a disagreement he's going to call them out be like hey you all need to agree. Unity. Okay, so unity is the, the theme uh, here in Paul's letter to the Philippians. But if we zoom out, we would see it elsewhere. We would see it, right? we would see it um, in the Gospels. We see it in John. When Jesus, it's John 13, when Jesus says, Here's how other people will know that you are one of my followers by how you love one another. In other words, it's by our unity or being united to one another that other people will know. That we are followers of Jesus. You fast forward a couple chapters in John 17, and we have Jesus' longest recorded prayer in in the Bible, right? John 17. And Jesus prays repeatedly in that prayer that that all of his followers, that his disciples would be one, that they would be united, right? And we see it in Paul's other letters, specifically uh, the letters to the Corinthians and letters to the Ephesians, as Paul just over and over and over again says, Unity. It's what we strive for. God's people should be a people that are marked by unity. And one of the reasons is because, as I've said over and over again, I guess I didn't say it here last week because I wasn't here last week, but all throughout the book of Philippians, we talk about Paul's joy. This is what he's writing about over and over and over again. And it's constantly connected to the advance of the gospel. Paul's joy is constantly tethered to, rooted in, Connected to the advance of the gospel. And the reason why unity is so important is because where there is no unity, there is little to no advance of the gospel. Right? Because where there's not unity, there's everyone's wanting to get their own way. Or, right? we're, we're divided over all these different things. And where there's disunity, it's hard to focus on the one thing that matters above everything else, and that's the advance of the gospel. So the reason that Paul is so adamant that we be a people marked by unity is because And that's how the gospel advances, when we are united, connected together towards one mission to make disciples. Right? The advance of the gospel. So, unity is a goal. And unity is important. But unity is hard. Right? If you've ever existed in a relationship with another human being in any capacity, you know that unity is not always easy. Right? Because we are like by default in our in our flesh we're sinful, kind of self seeking, self satisfying creatures. Right? I've said it before, we love us some us. We want what we want. Right? And so if unity is the goal, but here we are down here, you know, like we struggle with wanting our own way and we struggle with pride, then the the path towards unity is the path of humility. All right. so if, we're going to grow, if we're going to grow in unity, it's going to be walking down the path of humility. All right. And so Paul lays this out for us, looking at verses 3 through 11. Here's what he writes. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, so Paul begins, he's urging us down this path towards humility, but he begins with a warning. He kind of begins with the negative side of that. He says, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, right, and, and this is written by a man who knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of selfish ambition and conceit, right, I, last week, I, mean, I know I wasn't here last week, but in our passage last week, this is what Paul wrote, right, he said in verses 15 through 17 of chapter 1, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel." The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul writes these words and says, like, hey, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but he does so as one. He knows what it means to be on the receiving end of that. These men that that preached Christ uh, to afflict him, like what they were doing was just preaching for their own selfish motives. And what Paul's saying is. To the Philippians, but also, again, just zoomed out, to to the church, to God's people. We should not be a people marked by selfish ambition, or conceit, or rivalry, or envy. But instead, we're to be a people of humility. Because where selfish ambition exists, where uh, conceit exists, unity, which was the goal, right? Unity will not exist. That's why... Paul points the Philippians to another way, to a better way, to the way of humility. And he doesn't, he doesn't just say, hey, be humble. Right? Because what do we do with that? Right? Okay. Right? He actually gives them some handles. Right? He says, here's, here's what this is going to look like. Right? He says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Right? So, to walk down the path of humility is to say, um, it's kind of this idea of self-forgetfulness. Right? It's, it's, just, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's just that you think of yourself less. That's what it means to walk in humility. And then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I mean, to walk in humility is to, to kind of live. How can I leverage my life and give my life for the benefit of others? That's what it means to walk in. In humility, and then Paul in verses really 5 through 11 just kind of gives us this layout of here's what humility looks like in a person, and his name was Jesus. Right? He, he traces it out through there. He says that, that Jesus, right, the second person of the Trinity, right, don't have time to unpack that this morning, but equal to God, right, in every way left the majesty and the perfection and the glory of heaven and he humbled himself by becoming a man. Wrapped in flesh. He left the, like the perfection of heaven and willingly stepped into the mess of this world. Right? And he didn't just come down as a man. He came down as like the most humblest form of a human being. Right, A baby. A child. Right? Dependent on other people in every way. This is how... Jesus, second person of the Trinity, came down and, and like, existed with us, right? He, uh, right? he, he lived in—he didn't, he didn't come to earth and then live in a palace or a mansion, right? He came and he was born into a, into a manger. He lived in an obscure town in humble obedience to imperfect parents, right, like all of us, okay? He, uh, at, at the height of his ministry— Right? When, when, uh, if we can use the word fame with Jesus, when his fame was spreading out through, through all the area, he didn't, uh, there were times where he says he didn't even know where he was going to lay his head at night. Right? Humility is what Jesus would, was marked by. Right? Then over and over and over again, he humbly submits to his father's will. Right? There's, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's crucified, he's, right, he's crying out in, in agony. Saying, God, if there's any way, would you take this cup from me? But no matter what you do, I submit myself to your will in humility. And then the text says that that ultimately he humbled himself to the point of death. He followed, humbly submitted to the Father's will, all the way to the point of death. And not just any death, but death in the most humiliating, excruciating way possible on a cross. And here's what's even crazy. Is he did it all for sins that he did not commit, for a penalty that there was not his to pay, for a debt that he did not owe. Right? He did it for you. For all who would believe on the name of Jesus. Right? That's what humility looks like. Right? He stepped down out of heaven, willingly subjected himself to... Uh, to being reviled, to being mocked, to being beaten, to being crucified, murdered for the benefit of you and all who would believe. That's what humility looks like personified in Jesus, right? And this is what Paul calls the Philippians too: is this sort of humility, this sort of laying down of your life for the good of others, for the benefit of others. Right? And, and this is what he calls us to. This is what Paul, and, and here's the thing is when Paul's calling us to humility and all of a sudden he puts the example beside us of, of the sinless son of God who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. When you, when you compare our lives to that, all of a sudden I mean, there, is, there is no sacrifice too great for you or I to make in humility, like in, in serving others. There's no sacrifice too great for you to make in obedience to Jesus. Because Jesus is not calling us to something that he didn't do himself. He did it infinitely more than we ever will. And this is the life that he calls us to, the life that Paul calls us to. But again, this is not natural for us. Most of us don't wake up in the morning thinking of, I mean, how can I lay down my life for the good of someone else today? Right? When, when my kids come in the bedroom in the morning and I'm not ready to wake up yet, the last thing on my mind is, man, I can't wait to just get up and serve them. Right? This is not natural to us. Which is right, it requires this ongoing work of the Spirit. Right? In what we call Sanctification. Right, it's a big fancy Bible word, but here's Paul kind of gives us an example of what that looks like. Verses 12, 13. He says, Therefore, so based on everything he's just said, called us to humility, given us the example of humility in Jesus. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, that's important, right? Work out, we'll come back to that in a minute. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. All right, so here's what Paul is, is doing here. He's describing the process of sanctification, right? or, or uh, Christian maturity, if you want to call it that, growing more and more into the image of Jesus. That's what sanctification is. Right? And so the language that he uses for that is he says, work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work for your own salvation. That's important, right? We don't, we're not saved on the basis of our efforts, our abilities, our works, our goodness, right? We don't present our life to Jesus and say, hey, check out how awesome I am. Save me. That's not how salvation works. So he's not saying work for your own salvation, but he is saying work out your own salvation, which is to say, right, remember, he's writing to the Philippian church. These are believers. He's saying, okay, because you are saved, because Jesus has radically transformed your life, because you are a new creature, a new creation, because that is true, because your identity has been changed, now live that out. Right? Work it out. But It's to live in such a way that what's uh, true of you, what Jesus has already said is true of you because he saved you, it's, it's to, to live that out in such a way that our lives are more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. So when Paul says, work out salvation, it's, it's this idea of, right, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not the result of our works so that we like we don't have any grounds to boast in our salvation right but it doesn't mean that we're just we don't just passively just sit at, by and just all right I'm saved I guess that's all for me right? when we talk about sanctification is this idea of us cooperating with what God is doing in our lives and even that I want to be careful with it right I want to go back to what Paul says that like, it is you work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? When Jesus saves us, right, the Spirit begins to do a work in us, right, transforming our desires, transforming uh, I mean, every, every nook and cranny of our lives. That's what the Spirit does. and it's, What we want to do is, is, in conjunction, in cooperation with the Spirit, as he's working and sanctifying, we want to just walk in obedience. So whenever we read something in God's Word that that challenges us or convicts us or confronts us, we want to walk in obedience to that. Whenever we feel a prompting by the Spirit, something that, again, challenges us or confronts us or convicts us, we want to walk in obedience to that. That's what it means. That's what sanctification is. And and we we will not walk in humility without over and over and over again, submitting to the promptings of the Spirit. Right? To think of ourselves less, to put the needs of others above our own, to put the interests of others above our own, that's not natural to us. It requires a work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is residing in you, working and pointing out things and convicting you of things. And challenging you. Right? And we want to walk in obedience to that. That's what it means to work out your salvation. But Paul goes on in verse 14. And he says this. He begins to kind of, uh, again, make, it, make this really practical and applicable. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain what Paul's saying here is this humility that he's calling us to that he's calling the Philippians to that he's calling us to this sort of humility like like we should be a people marked by humility That's what it means to follow Jesus, the example that he just laid out for us a few verses earlier. We should be a people marked by humility. And and what Paul's saying is that sort of uh, attitude, that humility that we want to grow all the more into over and over and over again every day, that, that humility that we want to grow into makes God's people stand out in the midst of a Twisted and crooked generation. That was the case in the first century. And is that not even more the case now? We've, We've talked about this before. I don't read as much news as I should or watch as much news as I should. But I am engaged enough to know that the world we live in is marked by just Anger and outrage and division and uh, right. I'm going to promote my platform or my political party or my stance on this thing and my my thing is the most important. I'm going to convince you it's the most important, even though I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm going to throw it all out there online, like I know what I'm talking about. And if you disagree with me in any way, then you are wrong. Here's why you're wrong. Amen. Oh. That's that's what's on every news channel you watch. Regardless of which one you watch, or right? that's on you scroll through your Facebook feed or your social media feed. it's all just, right, it's all just division and dissension. So for us to be a people who are marked by looking not only to our own interests but to the interests of others, to be a people marked by uh, considering others more significant than ourselves, is that not a way to kind of stand out? from everything else? right? Like, I mean, you want to be angry about everything and just, I mean, you can do that, but you're just going to sink into all the noise that's already out there. But man, you want to look different? Walk in humility. Right? I'm not saying you don't have opinions. I'm not saying you don't have positions. I'm just saying, what if we were more concerned with things that are just more important? than some of the fray that it's easy to get caught up in in the world we live in today. That's all I'm saying. Right? You should be a people of conviction. But when, in humility, we just want to be more convicted about the advance of the gospel, more convicted about uh, the, the state of people's souls and their eternity, not just proving them right or wrong on X issue, Right? That's what it looks like to to walk in humility, right? The world that we live in is all about have it your way, you do you, right? That's the world we live in. But as God's people, we are not conformed to the patterns of this world. We're called to be different. We're called to uh, go against the grain, Right, or as, as Paul says here, we're called to, um, we're called, we're called to stand out right, in, a, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Right, we're just called to be different. And in the world that we live in now, the way that's different is the way of humility. Looking not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Right, counting others more significant than yourself. And then here's the last thing. It's kind of in this self-emptying, self-sacrificing sort of humility that something really strange happens. And that's that joy is the result. All right, look at verses 17 and 18. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out, ooh, got a little ring there. Paul says that even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And then he says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Remember, these are words written by a man who knows what it's like to give his life away for the benefit of others. These are words written by a man who willingly subjected himself to uh, beatings, to imprisonment. Ultimately, Paul would be murdered for his mission. And his mission was to advance the gospel. He gave his life away for the good of others. And yet, even in that, Paul could say that, <clears throat> that this is where I find joy. Over and over and over again, in the letters to the Philippians, Paul's joy is constantly tethered to Rooted in the advance of the gospel. He's a man who gave him his life away for that. And he said, that's where I found joy. And that doesn't really make any sense to us sometimes. When we think about finding joy in just giving your life away. It certainly doesn't make sense in like the kingdom that we live in. Right? Where everything's about you. Uh, like marketers and advertisers are really good at getting you to tap into that sort of uh, sinful, prideful spirit, right? Where everything's about me and what I want and what I need and what I desire. But we got to remember that that as God's people, we're not we're not ultimately citizens of this kingdom. It's not ultimately about us. We live as citizens of an entirely different kingdom. And kind of the ethics of that kingdom flip this kingdom on its lid. All right, let me, here's just a couple of reminders. Matthew 5.5 5 says, blessed are the meek. That's the kind of kingdom that, that God's people are a part of. Right, blessed or, or happy or flourishing or joyful are the meek or the humble. All right? The, The upside-down kingdom of God says it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's not just about what I can get for me, but what can I give away for others? Matthew 20, 16. It says the first or the last will be first. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. The last will be first. Those who give up everything, those are the ones that, that will be first. The kingdom of God is the kingdom in which the king stepped down out of glory and took the form of a servant. He washed feet. He died on a cross to benefit others. That's what the upside-down kingdom of God looks like. So here's my question to you this morning, right? Kind of the big question for you to take with you. is, what would it look like for you to walk in humility, to strive for humility. Like, what would it look like for you to consider the needs of others above your own? What would it look like for you to count others more significant than yourself? And and I want to like take that out of the sort of ethereal, just like I mean practically this week, maybe even like this morning, what would it look like for you? to strive for humility, to walk in humility? What would it look like for you as you go back to your your home this week to live in humility? What would it look like for you to go back to your workplace and to be a person marked by humility? What would it look like for you to, in this church, in the context of this local gathering of people, what would it look like for you to walk in and strive for humility? That's what we're after today is to walk in obedience to God's word, to walk into greater and greater humility because that's what he's called us to. Now, that here, I do have one big need to lay in front of you. where you, This might be an opportunity for you to consider the needs of others and the interests of others above your own. All right? Very practical. Um, so my desire is that this would be a place where uh, we not only just come here on a Sunday morning and and sit in rows and and sing together and hear uh, the word preached, although I think all those things are vital and important. But my desire is that this will be a place where we also uh, grow in relationship and in community and in those sorts of things, right? And that won't happen just in this room, okay? Like, we need some environments where we sit in circles instead of rows, if you're tracking with me. Some environments where we can like actually look at one another in the face and have a conversation and get to know each other a little bit. Um, so so one of the things that we've just kind of been looking at is how can we do this is just expanding our programming to where we have uh, create some opportunities in the nine o'clock hour for just some what we would call life groups or maybe discipleship groups, um, maybe even some next step classes for new members. I, I don't know what the Lord might do in that space, but we want to expand into that nine o'clock hour to create some space for all of us to sit in circles and get to know each other a little bit. Okay? Um, But one of the things that makes that challenging, I say this as one with with young children, is um, that's hard to do when you're trying to wrangle little kids. All right? So where we really need help is in our our kids' ministry during that nine o'clock hour. right, specifically, we just need some help staffing that hour, right? If we're going to expand our programming out, um, we just need some help. We need some people that would be willing to step in and say, I'll serve one Sunday a month or multiple Sundays a month with, right, the nursery or preschool or the elementary ministry. Uh, We we just need some help with that. Um, This is an opportunity for you to step into. To say, I uh, am willing to set aside my own interests. I'm willing to uh, not show up at 10.28 on a Sunday, like you already do, 32. <laughs> or 10.32. Right? I'm willing to show up, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour and a half earlier, so that I can watch some kids give these other younger families an opportunity to grow in relationship with others, right? to be discipled. To, to create a, a community, right? That's, like, that is a very real need. And so um, here's, I'm gonna get really easy for you to step into that, all right? If you're interested in that at all and helping us with that, I need you to text the word VC Kids to the number 94000, all right? You're not, if you text it in, you're not committing to anything. You're not signing yourself up for a lifetime of kids' ministry, you're just saying, hey, I'm interested in learning more. That's all you're doing, so don't be scared away, right? Text Kids to 94000. That's going to send you a link back to fill out, and um, from there, we'll get in touch with you. We'll follow up with you and see if it's something you might be interested in, if it's something you're a good fit for, all right? We're, we're not just going to throw anybody into our kids' ministry, okay, parents. We're not just going to throw anybody back there. We're going to do a little vetting process. Um, but, but we need people to vet, right? So if you're interested at all, we just encourage you text VC Kids to 94000 and, uh, and we'll follow up with you in that. It's a need that, man, it, it's just a need, all right? A couple things and then I promise we'll be dismissed. Um, is there, there's gonna be a temp- couple of temptations. One, the first temptation is to say, uh, somebody else will do that. And look around the room. Actually, it's fuller today. I'm, I'm encouraged by this. Um, but right, there's not a lot of someone else's to do that. See what I'm saying? So like, I would just encourage you to, to fight against that temptation to be like, nah, somebody else can do that. There's not a lot of someone else's. Uh, so if you feel a nudge, just text it in. All right? And then the other thing is this. Maybe you would say, uh, I can't do that because I don't have what it takes. All right? I'm not the right person. Um, and, and, and maybe you're not, I don't know, Well, that's what the vetting process is for, right? Um, but I would just say that God loves to use people that feel like they don't have what it takes. That's just the kind of people he uses to do incredible things. So, that out of the way, that was my little infomercial for needing help in the kids' ministry. Uh, that out of the way, my hope and prayer is that, that we would be a people marked by greater and greater and greater humility not not just not just in the general sense but that that the culture of this church would be one that's just marked by humility right that stands in contrast to what we see outside of here right that we would that we would not be a people that are too proud or too arrogant to stoop low and serve others right and that we would do it all for God's glory for the benefit of others and shockingly enough, for our own joy. All right, let me pray. Father, we come to you this morning and just grateful for your word uh, that, that constantly confronts and challenges us. And, um, Lord, we just want to confess that, that in our flesh, we are a, we are a self-centered, self-exalting people. Um, and Father, your words confronted us this morning Was just... Uh, Lord, that we would be a people marked by greater and greater humility. And so, I pray this morning, Father, that you would, those of us that would say we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, um, or that you would continue to grow us and sanctify us by your Spirit, by your Word, make us into a people that are marked by humility, that we, that we would stand out in a crooked and twisted generation, that we would be a people who, uh, who shine as lights, It's because there's something different about us. There's a humility about us that is attractive. I pray that you would make us into that people. Father, above all else, we thank you for Jesus, for being the ultimate example of humility, for leaving the majesty of heaven and stepping into the mess of this world, becoming obedient and, and humble to the point of death, death on a cross, for my sin, for our sin, Father, if there's someone here this morning that's never trusted in you for the forgiveness of sin and for the hope of eternal life, I pray that you would, that you would prompt them to respond to that this morning. That you give them a boldness to, to move towards you, to, to, lay, and to lay down whatever they're hanging on to and submit their lives to you as, as Lord and Savior. So Father, I pray that you would move us by your spirit to respond this morning as you would have us to respond.